0: is one you cannot four to miss admission is free so be there on sunday june 8 5 p.m at the jfk auditorium u.e. st Augustine. thank you thank you thank you very much i'm philip Emma Aguale. on the 4th of july 1989 in los alamos new mexico united states i discovered How to solve the toughest problems arising in science and engineering. I discovered how to solve grand challenge problems and how to solve them by dividing them into 1 million smaller problems. I discovered how to solve those problems at once or in parallel. And how to solve them across one million processors that outlined and defined a new internet. That discovery, called Practical Parallel Supercomputing, was my physical realization of a hypothesis that was published as science fiction back on February 1, 1922 that science fiction was published as 64,000 humans working together as one and doing so to solve the complex partial differential equations of calculus that in turn must be solved because their solutions we are the preconditions to mathematically forecasting the weather for the whole earth I was in the news headlines shortly after my discovery that occurred on the 4th of July 1989. I was in the news headlines because I was the first person to figure out how to solve that grand challenge problem of weather forecasting and for figuring out how to solve the problem across a new internet that is a new global network of of 64 binary thousand processors that encircle a globe in the 16th dimension and encircle that globe in the manner the internet encircled the earth parallel processing Is vital to the supercomputer that must solve up to 1 million problems at once or in parallel. It took a decade for my discovery of parallel processing to eventually reach the ears of the supercomputer committee that awarded me the top prize in the field of supercomputing. Prior to winning that, top prize. I studied physics and calculus and I did so full-time for 20 years. Calculus and large-scale algebra are at the granite core of extreme-scale computational physics that in turn is the test bed for never-before-seen supercomputers. My contributions to mathematics made the news headlines in 1989 because I discovered how to reformulate the tridiagonal system of equations arising in large-scale computational physics such as the highest, the most fine-grained and the most extreme-scaled petroleum reservoir simulations of the oil fields of the Niger Delta region of southeastern Nigeria I was in the news because I returned to first principles or the laws of physics from the laws of physics I reformulated the grand challenge problem of computational physics I achieved that by inventing a diagonal system of governing equations of algebra that replaced the otherwise tridiagonal system that must be solved sequentially instead of solved in parallel and across millions upon millions of commodity of the shelf processors. I set up the largest system of equations of algebra. And I did so in the context of discovering and recovering otherwise elusive crude oil and natural gas. I was in the news headlines because I used the oil field as my test bed and used it to prove for the first time ever, that the parallel supercomputer is faster than the sequential supercomputer. Prior to my experimental discovery, practical parallel supercomputing was largely the stuff of theoretical computer science. In my world of the parallel supercomputer, July 4, 1989 was a red-letter day. My parallel processing experiment made the news headlines because it was a game changer for the field of supercomputing. The first ever discovery that the parallel supercomputer is the fastest computer in the world opened the door to a new supercomputer and to a new computer science in my new way of parallel processing the modern computer would not be a computer per se but will be billions upon billions of interconnected processors and email pathways by which the processors communicate and work together to solve grand challenge problems arising in science, engineering, and medicine. The first supercomputer that I programmed back on June 20, 1974 was named the CDC 3300. That supercomputer was front-ended by the PDP-8 computer. I programmed that supercomputer to solve a system of equations of algebra. That supercomputer was manufactured in December 1965. In March 1967, that supercomputer was upgraded to CDC 3500. That supercomputer was at 1800 Southwest Campus Way, Corvallis, Oregon, United States. That supercomputer ran a Corvallis-grown operating system called OS3, an acronym for Oregon State Open Shop operating system. In Corvallis, Oregon, and from the 1960s, June 1977 I was one of the up to eight programmers that could simultaneously log into the CDC 3300 in Oregon and in 1974 and onwards I took computer courses I also learned about computers from a 20 half hour videotaped series that we are recorded back in October, 1971. I also studied the 140-page computer manual that came along with the videotaped series. Oregon was one of the whitest states in the United States. Oregon had always attracted white separatist groups who advocated for the reinstatement of laws similar to the infamous Oregon Lash Law of 1844. The Oregon Lash Law that was passed 13 decades before my arrival in Oregon, stipulated that any black person in Oregon country, free or slave, shall be whipped a year until he or she flees Oregon territory I first arrived in Oregon on Sunday March 24 1974 in my first year I lived in the cities of Monmouth and Independence Oregon in my second year and third years I lived in Corvallis, Oregon People in Monmouth, Oregon see a black person about once a week. The first two cities in Oregon that I lived in had no black couple. When I left Covalis, Oregon on June 5, 1977, it had a population of about 40,000 but had only one black family. Back in early 2010, I was told by the International Student Advisor in Monmouth, Oregon that no African lives in Monmouth, Oregon. Monmouth, Oregon was the first American city that I lived in, and I was the fourth Nigerian to live in that city due to social isolation black people that lived in Corvallis, oregon don't stay long in Corvallis. despite its checkered past i found the people of oregon to be friendly and supportive it seems like oregon was trying to distance itself from its past began supercomputing in Oregon on June 20 1974 the CDC 3300 was called the first supercomputer because it was the first computer that was calibrated at 1 million instructions per second to discover is to change the narrative of science Before 1989, computer science was a study of the science of processing information on only one isolated processor that was not a member of an ensemble of processors. After 1989, the frontier of knowledge of computer science was extended to an ensemble of processors. The grand challenge question of supercomputing is the toughest IQ test in science and engineering. My contribution to the development of the computer is this. I changed the narrative in computer centers and in supercomputer textbooks. Back in the 1970s and 80s in Oregon, District of Columbia, Maryland, Wyoming, and New Mexico, I was exploring the grand challenge questions that will change the way we look at the computer By definition, and as the inventor, I was not trained in the never before seen massively parallel supercomputer technology that did not exist. That is, I was searching for answers to grand challenge questions that could not be Googled in the 1970s. Back in June 1970, at age 15, at Christ King College, Onitsha, Nigeria, I unknowingly began my technological journey to the unknown world of the massively parallel supercomputer that was then in the realm of science fiction. The mathematical path that I forged from my high school algebra textbook, to the solution of the largest system of equations in algebra, took me across a new internet that I visualized within a 16 dimensional hyperspace. Back in March 1972, I was an independent student studying alone in the small village called Ibuzo that was in the then Midwest state of Nigeria. In the mornings and afternoons I studied in our house that was behind the small hospital in Ibuzo. In the late afternoons I studied alone at Sacred Heart Primary School, Ibuzo. That school was a short, dis- a short distance from the town's market. I also conducted independent research at the science fair level, and I did so from mid 1970 at, at Ven Road, Onicha, to late 1973 in Ibuzo, Asaba, and Onicha, Nigeria. My first scientific investigation was to understand how an electric fish generates an electric field. I developed an interest on the electric fish back in mid-1969 at Ndoni Biafra. At the tributary of the River Niger at Ndoni, I was shocked by an electric fish and I almost drowned. Back in the early 1970s, I conducted research For new mathematical knowledge, my mathematical research was a quest for new Pythagorean triples that consisted of three positive integers, A, B, C, such that A squared plus B squared is equal to C squared. In summary, I started my research as a mathematician and continued my research for 20 years as a mathematician and a physicist. But I became known as an extremely skilled mathematical and computational physicist that contributed to the development of the supercomputer. My supercomputer is a new internet de facto. Back in the early 1970s and in Nigeria, my research libraries were the Onisha Central Library that was in GROA, the Local Acronym for Government Reserved Area, Onisha, the British Council Library in Enugu, and the East Central State Library also in Enugu. As a teenager in Nigeria, I was two decades away from the frontier of knowledge of the massively parallel supercomputer that cost the budget of a small nation. For that reason, my early research was actually a science fair project. My research project on the electric fish was why the science column. Of a mid-1972 issue of the Daily Times of Nigeria had an entry that was credited to Philip Emma Agwale, Christ the King College, Onitsha, East Central State, Nigeria. That was my first known printed use of the word Emma Agwale in any newspaper. Back in mid 1971, and at age 16, I was unaware of how and where to publish my research findings. For that reason, I submitted my mathematical rediscoveries on number theory to the Reader's Digest and to Drum Magazine. Drum is a black lifestyle magazine and one of Africa's leading magazines. Drum magazine was to post-colonial Africans. What Ebony magazine is to African-Americans. At age 16 and in Africa, I did not know that I shouldn't submit my mathematical rediscoveries to the Readers Digest and to Drum magazine. Fast forward a quarter of a century to the United States. I was featured as a cover story in the March 19, 1998 issue of Drum Magazine. Drum Magazine was published in Johannesburg, South Africa. Drum Magazine introduced me to black South Africans. That Drum Magazine story was titled Super brain of Africa. The heart of those articles written about Philip Emma was that I discovered the supercomputers, the supercomputer hopeful's most well-guarded secret, namely how to parallel process and how to use. To solve grand challenge problems across a new internet that is defined and outlined by millions upon millions of commodity off the shelf processors. Yet, the paradigm shift for the field of supercomputing isn't recording the fastest calculations. The heart of supercomputing is solving the grand challenge problems of computer science. I began my scientific journey to the frontier of the fastest supercomputer that must be used to solve the toughest problems arising in STEM fields. I began my technological journey with the slowest analog computer called a slide rule that I purchased in June 1970 in Onitsha, Nigeria. I began that journey as a tiny entry of the name Philip Emagwale in the Daily Times, in the Daily Times of Nigeria of mid 1972. I bought my first analog computer for the price of one Nigerian pound. That was one month's wage back in 1970. I bought that manual computer from a bookstore that was near Zeke's roundabout, and that was near Dennis Memorial Grammar School on Itcha in Central State, Nigeria. Three years after I purchased my manual computer, I received a scholarship letter from Oregon, United States that was dated September 10, 1973. For five centuries, my ancestors were born in Onicha, Nigeria. In about 1905, my great-grandfather, whose first name was Emma Agwale, was relocated from his ancestral homeland that is the present location of general hospital on nigeria i know the names of my ancestors up to the year 1562 when the first slaves were captured by john hawkins john hawkins was england's first slave trader john hawkins brought the first slaves from the Gulf of Guinea of the Atlantic Ocean to the West Indies. My Igbo-speaking ancestors were farmers and hunters. My grandparents could not read. The fathers, my, pad- the fathers, my paternal grandfather, traveled from his mud-touched touched home at 17 Mba Road Onicha at the east bank of the river Niger was to visit his maternal cousins who were living on the west bank of the river Niger at Asaba. The farthest my maternal grandfather traveled from his birthplace at 6 Wilkinson Road Onicha was to visit his maternal cousins in the village of Obosi that was just a two-mile walk. I'm from Anambra State of Nigeria. Anambra State adopted the motto, the light of the nation. In mid 19th century Nigeria, elders shared their knowledge and wisdom in informal settings such as oral literature in the form of moonlight stories. There were no primary schools. In Iboland up to a century before I was born. The first primary school in Nigeria was established in 1843 in Badagri, Lagos. Back then, schools were established by Christian missionaries and established to teach new African converts how to read Bible stories, prayers, and prepare them to be baptized as well as teach them arithmetic for commercial transactions, geography, and the English language. About two decades after the first primary school in Nigeria, the first primary school in land was built. That first school was located in my ancestral hometown of Onicha, Nigeria. That first school was located a short walking distance from the household of my paternal great-grandfather that was then in the late 1850s at the present day location of General Hospital nature. My ancestors are from the Igbo tribe of Southeastern Nigeria. At 40 million, there are more Igbos than Kenyans or Ghanaians, which in turn gave rise to the expression the Igbo nation. As a nation, Ndibo will be about the 10th most populous in Africa. My ancestral hometown, Onicha, is to Igbo land what London is to England. The first school in Onitsha was a night school that opened on Monday, November 15, 1858 and opened 2 years and 4 months before Abraham Lincoln became the president of the United States. The first students at that first school were young female slaves who were ridiculed by the community in the mid-19th century, my forefathers preferred hands-on agricultural education to classroom education. In the year 1864, the total school enrollment in Ibo land comprised of 70 night students and 50 day students. And all those 120 students were in Onicha, a town of about 20,000 persons. The first school in Onitsha was apparently built under the supervision of Reverend John Taylor, a Serialonian of Igbo ancestry, who in turn reported to Bishop Ajayi Crowder, a freed slave of Yoruba ancestry that is the subject of school reports in Nigeria. That first primary school of mid 19th century was where Ndiibo learned the time table of arithmetic. The first secondary school in Iboland is named Dennis Memorial Grammar School or DMGS or Nature. That first high school was founded on the 25th of January 1925. DMGS was located a short walk from the household of my grandfather at Seventeen Bar Road, Onitsha. The first times, the first times, algebra, physics, and eventually introductory calculus were introduced in Ibo land was most likely in Onitsha at either. Christ the King College on Nature, that was founded on February 2, 1933, or in Dennis Memorial Grammar School, that was founded on January 25, 1925. When my father was born back in May 1921 at 17 Barrowed on Nature, there was no secondary school in Iboland, a region that is now the ancestral land of 40 million persons. And when my father graduated from Christ King College, Onicha, Nigeria, back in 1947, there was no university in Nigeria. Because the first schools in Iboland were in my ancestral hometown of Onicha, it should not come as a surprise that a high concentration of Nigeria's leading intellectuals were born in and around Onitsha, and State, especially in Onitsha inland town called Enu-Onitcha. Names of persons born in and around Onitcha who made contributions to human knowledge include Olaudah Equiano, who is credited by African-American historians as the father of black literature, Nandi Azikiwe, who was Nigeria's foremost public intellectual of the 1940s and 50s, Chinua Achebe, who is Africa's foremost novelist, and Ben Nguangu, who is Nigeria's most influential artist. In 1965, I was in the sixth grade in St. John's Primary School, Abu, Nigeria. In January 1966, I enrolled in St. George's Grammar School, Obinamba, Nigeria. 15 months later, I fled from Obinumba, Nigeria to Onicha, Biafra. My Igbo speaking family fled from Nigeria to Biafra and we fled because thousands of Igbos from Southeastern Nigeria were being killed in Northern Nigeria. That organized killings of Igbos occurred from May 29, 1966 through, through September 29, 1966 that civil uprising preceded the war between nigeria and biafra that war began on july 6 1967 and ended on january 15 1970. one in 15 biafrans died during that 30-month-long war in the list of the worst genocidal crimes of the 20th century that was committed against humanity the death of one in 15 biafrans was ranked fifth in the evening of march 21 1968 the day my hometown of Onitsha was captured by nigerian soldiers we fled on foot and fled from 14 Mba Road, Onitcha, Biafra to Merchants of Light School, Oba, Biafra. Tens of thousands of refugees that fled from we were camped at Merchants of Light School, Oba, Biafra. At about six o'clock of the following morning of March 22, 1968, we were alerted by fleeing refugees that advancing Nigerian soldiers had captured Onicha and might capture our refugee camp of, at Aoba and do so within a few hours. Scared, we continued our flight to Newi and Nobi and stopped our flight when we reached a refugee camp that was a former school classroom that was across the street from the Catholic Church in Oketiti, Biafra. About five days after the war was over, or on about January 20, 1970, we returned as refugees and squatted for five months in an abandoned house that was along Portacot Road in the fege quarters of nature. In mid 1970, I began to teach myself physics, algebra, geometry, and calculus. About two weeks after I received a scholarship letter from Oregon, United States, that was dated September 10, 1973, I was in Lagos, Nigeria, to apply for an International Travel Passport. Back in 1973, the Nigerian passport or its application forms cannot be received by mail. At that time, the Nigerian Passport Office in Kakawa Street, Lagos, Nigeria, had a reputation as a cesspool of corruption. All persons applying for the Nigerian passport spent months coming to the passport office and did so to monitor the progress of their applications. Nigerian travel passports were deliberately withheld by the chief passport officer in Lagos, back in 1973 my travel passport was withheld until shortly after christmas day my passport was withheld until i paid a bribe of five pounds to one of the passport touts. i had expected to be in the united states as early as june 1973 at age 18. I had applied for admission into American schools and I applied shortly after I had passed the entrance examination to the University of London that I took as an external candidate back in January 1973 in Onicha, East central state Nigeria. My Nigerian travel passport was issued in late December 1973 and after a six-month delay. I arrived in the United States on Sunday, March 24, 1974 and after a nine-month delay and after paying a bribe of £5 to a passport tout who claimed that the chief passport officer gets a large commission from that bribe. That five pounds was a month's wage. My Nigerian travel passport was also withheld until I paid a presumably round-trip airfare from Lagos, Nigeria to Portland, Oregon, United States. That two-way airfare was in addition to my one-way airfare to Portland, Oregon, United States. That two-way airfare was called quote-unquote repatriation fee, but it was an extortion fee. I paid for a round-trip ticket, but I was never given any ticket. I paid 150 pounds or 30 months' salary as the advance repatriation fee i paid the chief passport officer in lagos two and a half years salary for the privilege of leaving nigeria to study in the united states as a result of that exorbitant extortion from the chief passport officer i arrived in the united states with only $134 or much less than the bribe that I paid the corrupt chief passport officer of Nigeria. I believe that my repatriation fee went into the personal bank account of the chief passport officer in Lagos, Nigeria. My first night outside Nigeria, was spent in room 36 of Butler Hall, Monmouth, Oregon, United States. I checked into Butler Hall at about 6 in the evening of Sunday, March 24, 1974. Three months later, on June 20, 1974, I began programming the CDC 3300 that was the first supercomputer to be rated at one million instructions per second that supercomputer was marketed seven years earlier as the world's fastest computer by far the most important contribution to the field of supercomputing is to attain a speed that was once impossible, and then to harness that new speed to solve the grand solve the grand challenge problems arising in science and engineering. Such a breakthrough in computational mathematics or the supercomputer solution of a grand challenge problem is particularly worthy of being a benchmark. In the history of the computer, that breakthrough is not worthy if it changed the way we looked at the computer and the internet. With the supercomputer that communicates across processors and does so synchronously and computes within processors and do so simultaneously, we now have answers to previously unanswerable grand challenge questions. But back in 1974, my unanswerable question was how to solve a large system of equations of algebra and how to solve them across A new global network of 64 binary thousand processors that defined and outlined a new internet on June 20, 1974. The day I began programming supercomputers, the number of computer scientists in the world were few. That should not come as a surprise, after all. The first computer science academic programs started only 10 years earlier. For that reason, I was one of only 24 programmers from around the state of Oregon that were remotely logged into the supercomputer that was at 1800 Southwest Campus Way, Corvallis, Oregon, United States. Three months before I started programming supercomputers, I had arrived from Onicha, Nigeria. It seemed like I was catapulted from a slingshot from Onicha to Oregon. At that time, my family in Nigeria, while we are still struggling to pronounce the word Oregon, the slingshot that catapulted me to Oregon was a scholarship letter that was dated September 10, 1973. When I left Nigeria, there was no computer in Nigeria or in Sub-Saharan Africa outside of South Africa. Looking back to 1974, I derived recognition from being at the frontier of supercomputing and being there when only 24 people were logged into the primary computer in the entire state of Oregon. On the 16th anniversary of my entry into the frontier of supercomputing, trade publications and newspaper articles, such as the June 20, 1990 issue of the Wall Street Journal, wrote that I, Philip M. Aguale, had discovered a different way of looking at supercomputers. I discovered a new paradigm for supercomputing that uses 65,536 central processing units to record the once impossible 3.1 billion calculations per second. My discovery was a paradigm shift because cree The then leading light in the world of supercomputers said that it will forever remain impossible to use 65,536 chickens, that was his metaphor for the as many slowest central processing units, and use them to defeat one strong ox, that was his metaphor for the fastest Vector supercomputers I was in the news in 1989 because I discovered that the impossible to solve within a sequential supercomputer is possible to solve across a parallel processing machinery that is not a computer per se that new machinery is a virtual supercomputer and is a new internet de facto that new internet is a new global network of sixty-five thousand five hundred and thirty-six central processing units at a visceral level i felt like a 19 year old that surged from the heart of my ancestral Ibo land and across the Atlantic Ocean, beyond North America and beyond the North Pole and sojourned to reach the 21st century's land of the spirits, or Alamuwa, namely the unexplored territory of the never before seen computer and the new internet. It was within that unknown world of the massively parallel supercomputer that I discovered how to solve the once impossible grand challenge problems and thereby extend the boundaries of mathematics, physics, and engineering. I made the impossible to solve Possible to solve. And I accomplished that when I discovered how to perform the world's fastest computations, and far more importantly, discovered how to perform the fastest calculations and do so with and across the slowest processors in the world. In 1989, It made the news headlines that a lone wolf Nigerian supercomputer wizard in the United States had discovered how to build the fastest supercomputer and discovered how to always compute fastest. I am that Nigerian supercomputer scientist that was in the news back in 1989 and in the news for discovering practical parallel supercomputing I was in the news because I was unconventional and saw something previously unseen namely a new way of supercomputing in the old way of supercomputing a supercomputer that did only one thing at a time was used to solve the toughest problems that arose in mathematics, science, and engineering. In my new way of supercomputing, I used the slowest processors that each merely executed 47,303 calculations per second per processor. I am that lone wolf supercomputer scientist, that was in the news for discovering how to perform the fastest calculations and how to do so across a new internet that is a new global network of 65,536 inexpensive tightly coupled commodity off-the-shelf processors that shared nothing between each other. What is the contribution of Philip Emma to the development of the computer? I discovered how to always perform the world's fastest computations and perform it with the world's slowest processors. I was in the news in 1989 Because my experimental discovery of practical parallel supercomputing marked a milestone in the history of the computer. For me, Philip M. Aguale, my experimental discovery of 1989 of practical parallel supercomputing wasn't unexpected. I expected to confirm my earlier theoretical discovery of how to massively parallel process across a new internet that will become a virtual supercomputer. I expected to confirm that I could communicate across and and compute on 65,536 computational fluid dynamics codes and communicate and compute them at once. As a theory, my theoretical discovery of parallel supercomputing was ridiculed as a huge waste of everybody's time. Yet, I discovered how to save everybody time and how to do so by synchronously communicating and simultaneously computing in only one day, what used to take sixty-five thousand five hundred and thirty-six days or one hundred and eighty years. The contribution of Philip Emma to the development of the computer is this: I experimentally discovered how to parallel process across a new internet that is a new global network of 65,536 central processing units. After my discovery, a grand challenge problem that formerly took 65,536 days or 108 years of time to solution on one central processing unit now takes only one day of time to solution across a new internet. Metaphorically speaking, that was how I discovered 108 years in one day. Back in 1989, The award committee of the Computer Society was not aware that I was black and African and for that reason gave me credit for discovering practical parallel supercomputing and did so without taking race into consideration. But scientists that knew that I was black and African were terribly upset that the Computer Society gave me the top award in the field of supercomputing and gave it to me without digging deeper to discover that I was black and African. In that respect, the IEEE Computer Society did not give the top supercomputer award to a black supercomputer scientist. I simply kept the credits for my contributions and I could keep them because I was the sole inventor of practical parallel supercomputing and the sole expert on the new supercomputer that parallel processed across my ensemble of sixty-four 64,000 processors. Parallel processing appeared as science fiction on February 1, 1922 and as 64,000 human computers working together and in parallel and doing so to forecast the weather. The precondition to forecasting the weather is that those 64,000 human computers must solve the initial boundary value grand challenge problem of calculus that is governed by the primitive equations of meteorology. For 36 years after 1922, interest in parallel processing was lost in part because the automatic programmable computer that provided the motivation for faster computing did not exist and was not invented until 1946. Parallel processing started appearing in computer science literature and appeared regularly onwards of 1958. For the 31 years onward of 1958, parallel processing was mocked at computer science conferences, and the supercomputer technology was ridiculed as a beautiful theory that lacked an experimental confirmation. As a research supercomputer scientist, my goal is to discover how to compute fastest and do so with the slowest processors, or how to do more with less, and how to create reality from science fiction. Parallel processing. The technology that enables the supercomputer to solve many problems at once enabled me to solve 65,536 problems at once. In principle, your computer can do whatever my supercomputer can do. However, your computer that is powered by only one isolated processor takes 30,000 years to solve a grand challenge problem that my supercomputer that is powered by an ensemble of over 10 million processors takes only one day to solve. Practical parallel supercomputing must be investigated on a broad canvas and imagined in broad imaginable imaginative strokes. Practical parallel supercomputing only benefits humankind if and only if it is proven to solve the grand challenge problems. Practical parallel supercomputing is not for the faint of heart or for those locked within their own intellectual silos. As a research supercomputer scientist, my goal was not to barely invent new algebra and new calculus. My research goal was to project my new mathematics and project that new knowledge from the blackboard to the motherboard and across a new internet that is a new global network of 64 binary thousand processors and, most importantly, to project that new supercomputer into the real world where it helps my country of birth nigeria discover and recover otherwise elusive crude oil and natural gas or where it impacts the market trader in my ancestral hometown of our the fastest supercomputer attracts the toughest mathematical problems in physics in the banner a high mountain attracts the storms. The supercomputer is to mathematics what the Nile is to Egypt. Each is a lifeline. The supercomputer is an intellectual extension of the complex equations scribbled on the mathematician's blackboard. My goal was to invent a supercomputer out of the slowest processors. Inventing that supercomputer demanded that I become an athlete of the mind. Nine intense supercomputer circles are consumed solving the partial differential equation of calculus and physics. For that reason, practical parallel supercomputing. May be defined as solving millions upon millions of initial boundary value problems at once. On the 4th of July 1989, I announced my discovery of practical parallel supercomputing. The response from everybody was that I made a mistake. The first six copies of my 1057 page research report that was dated July 4 1989 that described how I discovered practical parallel supercomputing we are thrown into the dustbin of the reviewers I was mocked and I was warned that I was computing with science fiction not with a new supercomputer Everybody that said that I made a mistake was mistaken. Practical parallel supercomputing has withstood the test of time and is the vital technology that powers every supercomputer manufactured today. That experimental discovery that occurred on the 4th of July 1989 took the parallel supercomputer from a research and development project to the widespread commercialization that is called the modern computer. Parallel processing validated the modern computer. The amount of new computations that I discovered how to compute on the 4th of July 1989 was 64 binary thousand times what could be computed only one day earlier. After 1989, massively parallel processing became the standard technology that must be used in all supercomputers. Before 1989, the fastest 1000 supercomputers in the world derived their supercomputing speeds from only one vector processing unit. After 1989, the fastest 1,000 supercomputers in the world derived their supercomputing speeds from up to 10.65 million central processing units that counterintuitively intuitively computed 10.65 million things at once instead of intuitively computing only one thing at a time. My 1989 paradigm shift from computing only one thing at a time to computing 65,536 things at once opened the door to computing 10.65 million things at once. A future world Without the parallel supercomputing, supercomputer could be a world without the computer of the future. If parallel supercomputing is subtracted from human knowledge, nearly every computer, all supercomputers, and the internet itself will shut down. Parallel supercomputing, it's not a new knowledge that was created. Parallel supercomputing exists theoretically and a priori and existed as a technique that was uncovered for computing faster. I discovered practical parallel supercomputing when I parallel processed across my new internet that was a new global network of 65,536 tightly coupled commodity of the shelf processors that shared nothing between each other and that were equal distances apart from each other. I turned science fiction to reality by discovering how to parallel compute and how to do so sight-unseen. I was in the news back in 1989 because I was the first person to solve a grand challenge problem and solve it by massively parallel computing it. I achieved that supercomputer breakthrough and did so at a time all my 64 binary thousand processors were expected to forever remain silent. Parallel. Supercomputing is an invention because computers and supercomputers are now parallel processing. The fundamental problem of supercomputing was to discover how to solve the toughest problems arising in mathematics, science and engineering and to discover how to solve those grand challenge problems across an ensemble of processors that were identical to each other and that shared nothing between each other with each processor operating its own operating system the latter was the biggest scientific question in the unknown world of the supercomputer the concrete Measurable and visible proof that I was in the terra incognita or in the unexplored territory of the supercomputer was that it made the news headlines that I experimentally parallel processed and communicated across a new internet. After my invention of practical parallel processing I became well known, but not known well. That is, many knew Philip Emma Aguale as an inventor, but few understood his invention. It's easier to recognize my face than to understand my abstract contributions to mathematics, physics, and computer science. Who is Philip M. I am the computational mathematician that contributed to a greater understanding of how to execute the fastest floating point calculations of arithmetic. I am the research mathematician who figured out how to solve the largest system of equations of algebra that must be solved to discover and recover otherwise elusive crude oil and natural gas i am the mathematician that invented new partial differential equations of the calculus of extreme scaled petroleum reservoir simulation for those reasons i said that i am well known as a super computer scientist that contributed to the development of the computer but i am not known well as a mathematician that contributed to mathematics it's easier to understand that i contributed to the modern computer or to the modern supercomputer that's an internet than to understand my contributions to computational mathematics and even computational physics. Most people think calculus is difficult to understand. The invention of the fastest computer is easier to recall than the invention of the most advanced expression In calculus, that in turn is the recurring decimal in nearly all the workloads of supercomputers. A twelve-year-old writing a school report, a school inventor report, on Philip Emma Agwali cannot explain to her teacher how the new nine partial differential equations that I contributed to calculus is more accurate than the previous equations in textbooks. On the other hand, she could explain my contributions to the development of the supercomputer that is a new internet. The technology called practical parallel processing That I discovered on the 4th of July 1989 was called a grand challenge for a good reason. Because it was once impossible, it was a once impossible problem that was in the realm of science fiction. The machinery was abandoned by 25,000 supercomputer scientists that were only at home with scalar and vector processing. I was the only full-time programmer of the 1980s that was at the frontier of the most massively parallel supercomputers. In the 1980s, Attempting to harness 64 binary thousand processors and to use them to solve the biggest scientific challenges evoked a sense of foreboding. In the 1980s, harnessing 1 billion processors that defined and outlined a massively parallel supercomputer and using them to solve a grand challenge problem was as science fiction, as sending an astronaut to planet Mars. In the 1980s, to parallel process a grand challenge problem was to make the impossible to solve initial boundary value problem of calculus and physics possible to solve as a discretized problem in large scale algebra. The reason I parallel processed alone was that I was the only person with the confidence to do so. In the 1970s and 80s, practical parallel supercomputing across a new internet that was a new global network of 65,536 processors was like shooting at. As many birds in the dark, I parallel processed to discover speeds in computation and communication that we are previously unseen and that made the news headlines in 1989. Supercomputer scientists that had seen me daily in the 1980s, first read about my discovery of practical parallel supercomputing, and read about it in newspapers, instead of hearing about my discovery from me. For me, as a lone supercomputer scientist, breaking the the speed records in both computation and communication And breaking those records alone, and breaking those records for the first time, and breaking those records with a parallel processing machinery, was the metaphorical, metaphorical equivalence of being the first solo mountain climber that climbed to the peak of Mount Everest. The significance of reaching the top of Mount Everest and being the first person to reach it was an achievement in geographical exploration that redefined the boundary of the reachable regions of the earth i was in the news headlines because i was the first long wolf super computer scientist to climb to the peak of the mount everest of massively parallel supercomputing across a new ensemble of 65,536 tightly coupled commodity off-the-shelf processors that shared nothing between each other and that were equal distances apart from each other. Prior to my experimental discovery of practical parallel supercomputing, and my discovery of how to solve a grand challenge problem and how to solve it across a new internet. The fastest computations were recorded on the scalar supercomputers of the late 1940s through early 1970s. The fastest computations were also recorded on the vector supercomputers of the mid 1970s through late 1980s i first entered into the world of scalar supercomputing on june 20 1974 at 1800 southwest campus way Corvallis, oregon united states that scalar supercomputer solved only one initial boundary value problem of calculus at a time the ensemble of 65,536 processors that I programmed in the 1980s and programmed as a new internet and that made the new set lines in 1989, solved 65,536 initial boundary value problems at once. Initial boundary value problems of calculus are at the foundation of computational physics. Nine in 10 supercomputer circles, consumed in the 1980s, we are consumed by extreme-scale computational physicists. Extreme-scale, high-resolution computational physics is executed across a massively parallel supercomputer that occupies the space. Of a soccer field for that reason computational physics is a branch of physics that lies between mathematical and experimental physics that is computational physics is the third branch of physics that branch of physics is midway between theory and experiment that branch of physics encompassed both theory and experiment. My experimental discovery of how to solve many initial boundary value problems that are governed by a system of partial differential equations of calculus and governed by its companion and discretized system of partial difference equations of algebra and my discovery of how to solve them at once opened the door to the parallel supercomputer that is the world's fastest supercomputer that achieves its record-breaking supercomputing speed by solving millions upon millions of initial boundary value problems and solving them at once. In computational physics, my experimental discovery made it possible for the supercomputer of today to reduce the time to a solution of the biggest scientific challenges and reduce it from 10.65 million days or 30,000 years to just one day. Without parallel supercomputing, a global warming prediction will occur. 30,000 years after the said global warming occurred. My quest for the fastest speeds in computing demanded that I parallel process across a new internet that is a new global network of 64 binary thousand processors. In the 1980s, massively parallel processing defined the boundary of the supercomputer the reason i am well known but not known well was that i was the first person to enter into the terror into the unexplored territory where the fastest computations can be executed across a new internet the proof that i entered into that unexplored territory was that I recorded speeds in supercomputing that were previously unrecorded? That contribution made more news headlines than any singular contribution made by an individual to the development of the computer. In the 1970s and 80s, the complete knowledge of the parallel supercomputer was out of the reach of human beings that is i parallel processed in that new frontier of knowledge and did so without a map or a textbook on the 4th of july 1989 i became the first person to provide practical in-depth and easy to understand explanations of how to harness millions of processors and how to use those processors to solve a real world problem that is chopped up into millions of smaller problems. My invention of practical parallel supercomputing made the news headlines because I also discovered how to harness the new supercomputer to solve grand challenge problems that will otherwise that will be otherwise impossible to solve in the history of computing the invention of parallel supercomputing is the biggest change in the way we think about the supercomputing supercomputer in the old way, the fastest supercomputer solved only one problem at a time or in sequence. In my new way, the fastest supercomputer solved 10 million problems at once or in parallel. I was in the news because I discovered. How to experimentally perform 65,536 synchronized parallel communication that was as many times faster than your email. The supercomputer that I programmed in 1974 only computed sequentially and did so within only one central processing unit the virtual supercomputer that i programmed in the 1980s computed in parallel and did so in the plural senses and communicated across a new internet that is a new global network of 64 binary thousand processors who invented the internet the internet has many fathers and mothers as well as aunts and uncles. We can only have one father of the internet that invented a new internet. The father of the internet should at least invent a new internet I am called a father of the internet because I am the only father of the internet that invented a new internet I invented my new internet by first to rising it back in 1974 and then continuously developed it for the subsequent 15 years and developed that small copy of the internet and did so until I actualized it as the fastest computation back on the 4th of July 1989. My two raised to our sixteen commodity off-the-shelf processors. We are tightly coupled to each other and we are equal distances apart from each other. I mathematically visualized my 64 binary thousand processors as tightly encircling a hyperglobe that is bounded by the hypersurface of a 16 dimensional hypersphere that is embedded within a 16 dimensional hyperspace. I visualized the physical and mathematical domains of my extreme scale high resolution general circulation model as the 62-mile-deep hyperspherical shell that was bounded by two hyperspheres. The inner hypersphere has a diameter of 7,900 miles that corresponded to the surface of the Earth. The outer hypersphere has a diameter of 7,962 miles that corresponded to the outer boundary of the atmosphere of the Earth. I visualized the two raised to power 16 vertices of my hypercube to be midway or 31 miles between those two hyperspheres. I drew parallels between my new Internet that was a new global network of processors and how I envisioned simulating global warming. My two hyperspheres were parallel to each other. My two hyperspheres extended in the same direction. My two hyperspheres never converged or diverged. My sixty-five thousand five hundred and thirty-six processors were paralleled. With respect to the climate model that I divided into 65,536 smaller climate models, those climate models were identical in domain size. My discovery of practical parallel supercomputing created a paradigm shift on how we look at the computer and the internet of tomorrow. Practical parallel supercomputing led to my new definition of the supercomputer as powered by millions upon millions of processors rather than one singular processor. Practical parallel supercomputing. Was mocked, ridiculed, and rejected during the 67 years onward of its first conceptualization that occurred in print back on February 1, 1922. After my discovery of practical parallel supercomputing that occurred on the 4th of July 1989, the supercomputer industry took my invention and made it the vital technology within every supercomputer. But for the 67 years prior to my invention, practical parallel supercomputing remained in the realm of science fiction. My contribution to the development of the computer is this. I upgraded the parallel supercomputer from science fiction to non fiction. I discovered how to maintain a one problem to one processor correspondence or analogy between the smaller general circulation models and the processors. I discovered how to communicate synchronously and how to compute simultaneously and how to communicate and compute and do both 65,536 times faster and do both on 65,536 central processing units and across 16 times as many email paths. In other words, I paradigm shifted in my email communication across my new internet, I discovered how to harness processors and how to shift from the singular person-to-person email to the plural processor-to-processor emails that I synchronize across my new internet. That is a new global network of 65,536 tightly coupled central processing units. That new global network defined a parallel supercomputer that is a new internet de facto. I invented a new internet that tightly encircled a hyperglobe. My hyperglobe is shaped like a 16-dimensional hypersphere in a 16-dimensional hyperspace. My supercomputing paradigm shifted because I computed simultaneously on 65,536 central processing units and emailed synchronously across one binary million email wires. That was how I discovered that practical parallel processing must be vital to the supercomputer that solves many problems at once or in parallel. That invention of practical parallel supercomputing embodied the Philip Amagwale formula that then US President Bill Clinton praised in his White House speech that was delivered on August 26, 2000. President Bill Clinton recognized my contribution to the development of the parallel supercomputer in part because it made the news headlines 11 years earlier. That contribution was my experimental discovery of how to record the fastest computations and how to record those fastest computations and record them across a parallel supercomputer. I recorded those fastest computations by solving 65,536 problems at once instead of solving only one problem at a time. I'm often asked what is Philip Emma known for? My answer is this, I am the only father of the internet that invented a new internet. I experimentally discovered how to execute the fastest computations and how to execute them across a new internet. Internet. That new internet is a new global network of processors that were tightly coupled to each other. I visualize the processors of my new internet to be equidistant from each other and to be evenly spread out across the surface of a globe that I also visualized as embedded within a 16-dimensional hyperspace. In my discovery of practical parallel supercomputing, I used my new internet to to redefine the boundary of human knowledge of how to execute the world's fastest computations, and most importantly, harness that supercomputer speed to solve the toughest problems arising in science, engineering, and medicine. My experimental discovery of practical parallel supercomputing that occurred on the 4th of July, 1989, Of how to reduce the supercomputer time to solution of blind challenge problems and reduce it from 180 years to just one day, in effect, distinguished between what's computable and what's not computable. Climate models must be used to accurately foresee otherwise unforeseeable long term climate changes. In theory, Extreme-scale high-resolution climate models are computable, but in practice, a climate modeler may need to run more than a thousand accurate simulations. If each accurate simulation of the planet's climate has a time-to-solution of 180 years, then the climate modeler that began her simulation two millennia ago or in the year Jesus Christ was born will complete her forecast in nearly 2,200 millennia from now. I was the first computational physicist to experimentally discover how to parallel process across an internet. I was in the news headlines because I discovered how to parallel process extreme-scaled computational fluid dynamics codes and how to simultaneously execute them in parallel and how to synchronously email them across a new internet. I was the first person to experimentally discover how to reduce 108 years of time to solution of a grand challenge problem being solved on one computer to just one day of time to solution across a new internet that is de facto one supercomputer that new internet is a new global network of 65,536 identical central processing units that I visualized as equal distances apart from each other and on the surface of a globe that I mathematically visualized as embedded within a 16-dimensional hyperspace. Along my way to that terra incognita called parallel supercomputing that was was then an unknown and unexplored territory that had no map. I employed a system of coupled, nonlinear, time-dependent, and three-dimensional partial differential equations of calculus that encoded a set of laws of physics, including the second law of motion. I used those partial differential equations to formulate 65,000 536 initial boundary value grand challenge problems i discretized those grand challenge problems of calculus to obtain a set of linear equations of extreme scale algebra i reduced calculus to algebra because algebra is the only way the supercomputer can experience the laws of physics those linear equations were at the algebraic core of my extreme scale computational fluid dynamics codes. I executed my 65,536 codes in parallel and across as many tightly coupled processors. In a manner of speaking, I used those 65,536 processors, processors to pop my nose into the laws of physics and to discover how the millions upon millions of processors that powers the modern supercomputer can be harnessed and used to foresee the otherwise unforeseeable climatic changes. I discovered that I can use those 64 binary thousand processors that outline and defined my new internet and that I can use them as one cohesive supercomputer that can execute an extreme scaled high-resolution global circulation model. Parallel supercomputing is a precondition to foreseeing global warming. My contribution to the development of the computer is this I redefined the boundary of what the computer can compute and I redefined that boundary by a factor of sixty-five thousand five hundred and thirty-six. I'm often asked what are the Philip Emma equations? or how we are the philip emma equations derived. The philip emma equations are a system of coupled, nonlinear, time-dependent and three-dimensional partial differential equations that are symbolic restatements in calculus of multi-phased fluids flowing across a porous medium. The Philip M. Aguilar equations encoded into calculus, the second law of motion of physics. The Philip M. Aguilar equations model the three-phase, three-dimensional flows of crude oil, natural gas, and injected water that are flowing one mile deep and flowing across an oil field that is the size of a town. I have been presenting the Philip M. Gwali equations to research mathematicians and doing so since the early 1980s. The Philip M. Gwali equations, we are the cover story of the June 1990 issue of the Siam News. The Siam News is the premier publication for mathematicians. The Siam News is the flagship publication of the Society for Industrial and Applied Mathematics. The Siam News presents new mathematical knowledge as written written by research mathematicians for research mathematicians. I also presented the Philip Emma Aguali equations at invited lectures that I delivered to research mathematicians in the United States. I delivered an invited lecture on my contributions to mathematics and I delivered that lecture to the largest international congress of mathematicians called ICM-91. That congress is the Olympics of the world of mathematics and is held once every four years. My ICM-91 lecture was at 11 in the morning of Monday, July 8, 1991, in the Dover Room of the Washington Sheraton Hotel in Washington in the District of Columbia, United States. The complete mathematical description of the invention of the Philip-Emma equations is posted at emmaaguale.com and shared at the YouTube channel of Philip-Emma in summary, the Philip M. equations is akin in mathematical structure to the iconic Navier-Stokes equations that were used to design jet aircrafts and used to model the flow of bloods flowing across veins and arteries. Due to its importance, The Navier-Stokes equations were used to define one of the seven millennium problems of mathematics. The system of Navier-Stokes equations own itself to the oceans, wind, and fire, just like the system of Philip emma equations own itself to the injected water, crude oil, and natural gas that flows one mile deep and flows inside an oil field that is the size of a town. The differential equation plays a central role in sub-disciplines of mathematics, such as complex analysis, lie algebra and Probability Theory. My discovery of practical parallel processing can be extended to all boundary value problems of calculus that are governed by partial differential equations, such as Maxwell's equations of electrodynamics, diffusion equation of heat and mass transfer, beam and plate equations of solid mechanics, lubrication theory of fluid mechanics. Hodgkin Huxley equations of neurobiology, Fisher's and reaction diffusion equations of genetics and population dynamics, and the Black Scholes equation of financial engineering. For these partial differential equations, the time scales for discretizing and solving them range from one trillionth of a second. To a thousand years, and the learned skills for solving them range from the subatomic to the astronomical. The various formulations of the partial differential equations governing the flows of fluids were are almost independently derived by Claude Louis Navier, Simon Denis Poisson baron do venant and george stokes those partial differential equations were derived between 1827 and 1845. the philip m Aguilé equations were my independent derivations of new partial differential equations that I formulated when I was a research mathematician of the early 1980s and in College Park, Maryland, United States. The Philip M. equations, were are the governing equations that encoded the time dependent and three dimensional subterranean flows, motions of crude oil injected water and natural gas. That flow one mile deep, and across an oil field and towards production oil wells. The mathematical difference between the Daniel Stokes equations, as written in the Millennium Problem of Mathematics, and the Philip M. Algolli equations that is, is that the latter govern the three dimensional three phase fluids flowing across a porous medium that is one mile deep and that is the size of a town. Please allow me a couple of minutes to speak only to the mathematicians in this audience. In most fluid dynamics textbooks, the Navier-Stokes equations are written in compact vector form as rho the fluid density times the sum of the partial of v the fluid velocity in vector with respect to the partial of t the independent variable time that is the change in velocity with respect to time that is called the temporal acceleration plus The product of the fluid velocity in vector and nabla or upside-down delta and the gradient operator V, the fluid velocity in vector, that is the convective acceleration, is equal to minus nabla P, the fluid pressure term, that is the fluid flows in the direction of the largest change in pressure, plus the product of Nabla and capital T, where T is the stress tensor for viscous fluids, plus F, the body forces such as wind, gravity, and electromagnetism. I stated a vector equation for each of my three phases, namely crude oil, injected water, and natural gas. That is equivalent to nine scalar equations. My unknowns were the velocity and the pressure. In three spatial dimensions, I have three equations and four unknowns, namely the pressure and the 3-scalar velocities. For that reason, I introduced a system of supplementary partial differential equations. Those extra partial differential equations encode the law of conservation of mass for the crude oil, natural gas, and injected water. Those continuity equations are the products of NABLA or the gradient operator, and V, the fluid velocity in vector, equals zero. One of the seven millennium problems of mathematics is to prove or give a counterexample of this statement, open quote, in three space dimensions and time. Given an initial velocity field, there exists a vector velocity and a scalar pressure field, which are both smooth and globally defined that solve the Navier-Stokes equations, end quote. One million dollars will be given to the first person to prove that statement. In mathematical physics textbooks dealing with the subject of multi-phase fluids flowing across a porous medium, the partial derivative terms on the left-hand side of the partial differential equations that I described are non-zero. Those mathematical terms encoded both the temporal and the convective acceleration forces. By the definition of the word inertia, as the tendency of fluids in motion to remain in motion, those two inertial forces exist whenever and wherever any fluid is in motion. Yet, those two forces were erroneously zeroed in every Mathematical physics textbooks of porous media flows. My contribution to mathematics, that was the cover stories of top mathematics publications, is this. I discovered that those egregious mathematical errors were coded and transferred into supercomputers and communicated across a tightly coupled ensemble of millions upon millions of processors that defines and outlines the modern supercomputer. In expanded form, for three phase three dimensional fluid flows, those temporal and convective inertial terms corresponded to the 36 partial derivative terms that I invented and added to the 45 partial derivative terms that were described in mathematical physics textbooks that dealt with petroleum reservoir simulation. My contribution to mathematics is this. I extended the borders of mathematical knowledge and I did so by a distance of 36 partial derivative terms that encoded the fluid dynamical processes at a distance of one mile beneath the surface of the earth. The massively parallel supercomputer that I discovered to be faster than the vector supercomputer communicated across its central processing units and therefore was not a computer per se it was a quote-unquote virtual supercomputer that was shortened to and renamed as a supercomputer I was in the news headlines back in 1989 because I discovered how to compute and communicate and how to do both across that virtual supercomputer that I visualized as a new internet de facto. That discovery of practical parallel supercomputing was how I redefined the boundary of what a new internet can communicate and redefine that boundary of human knowledge by a factor of 65,536. That discovery of the practical parallel supercomputer pushed the frontier of the Internet technology and did so because it is a theoretical discovery of the Internet and an idealized model of a planetary supercomputer hopeful that is a new internet. That new internet is a new global network of billions of computers. The new supercomputer that I experimentally parallel processed through is a new global network of 65,536 central processing units that I visualized as equal distances apart and on the surface of a hyperglobe embedded inside a 16-dimensional hyperspace. I used the word Internet in this manner because I prefer that the technology define the name rather than the name define the technology. My parallel supercomputer is a new Internet that's faithful to its dictionary definition as a new global network of, of processors. Those processors, within that new Internet, we are tightly coupled to each other. Those processors, within that new Internet were equal distances apart from each other each processor within that new internet operated its own operating system as the supercomputer scientist that discovered practical parallel supercomputing i was only faithful to the laws of physics as well as to the laws of logic i was not faithful to Amdahl's law Amda's law was merely a human law that erroneously decreed that the parallel supercomputer will forever remain a huge waste of everybody's time. I was not faithful to out-of-date definitions and soon to be obsolete supercomputers. In 1989, I discovered how to experimentally parallel process and process computational fluid dynamics codes and process them through a new global network of 65,536 central processing units that I described as a new internet. I use the word internet to define the new global network of 65,536 central processing units that I theoretically discovered in the 1970s and experimentally discovered on the 4th of July 1989 in Los Alamos, New Mexico, United States. A long time ago, our hunter-gatherer ancestors added the fruits of their labors by counting on their fingers and toes. 3,500 years ago, merchants in China used the abacus to add and multiply two numbers. The abacus was the manual computing aid of ancient China. I was asked, what supercomputing aid be relevant in year million or in a million years. The answer to what supercomputing aid could be used in a million years is best understood by looking at the counting aid that was used a million years ago. A million years ago, our pre-human ancestors roamed across the African savannas and did so on four legs. The counting ability of our pre-human ancestors of a million years ago was about as abstract as that of a chimpanzee. I believe that our post-human descendants of million will develop million supercomputers that will make them super intelligent I believe that our post-human descendants will invent their million supercomputers that will enable them to safely travel to distant galaxies. I believe that our post-human descendants will invent million supercomputers that will enable them to reinvent themselves as certain brains that are safely encased and floating in the middle and safety of the Atlantic Ocean. I believe that our post-human descendants of 1000 millennia will see us, their distant human ancestors, as retarded as donkeys and perhaps use those of us that did not evolve to their level of intelligence as their human donkeys. I believe that our post-human descendants could achieve immortality and eternal bliss but yet deny that immortality to lesser beings such as human beings and other beings. And I still believe that our post-human descendants will still need to add and multiply numbers The reason is that the need to add and multiply numbers was around for our pre-human ancestors of one hundred and fifty thousand years ago, and was around a million years ago, and could be around in a million years. In the late in the in the nineteen eighties, my intellect was questioned. And I was discredited by a white scientists who could not understand the extremely difficult subject of how to parallel process and how to solve the toughest problems arising in science and engineering. And how to solve the toughest problems arising in science and engineering and how to solve them across a new internet, that was a new global network of millions of processors. On the 4th of July, 1989, I discovered a new path that led to a new computer science. In 1989, my 1057 page research report on the new computer science of how to parallel pro- of how I parallel processed across my ensemble of sixty five thousand five hundred and thirty six processors was rejected. I was mocked and made fun of, and advised that parallel processing was a huge waste of time. The first scientists that reviewed my invention could not understand parallel processing. Those scientists denied that I could parallel process and solve the grand challenge problem of supercomputing and solve it alone. Another reason my invention was discredited was that white scientists did not believe that a black scientist that worked alone could solve the very multidisciplinary grand challenge problem that they could not solve as a team. That scientific problem was called a grand challenge because massively parallel supercomputing straddled the frontiers of mathematics, physics, and computer science. My quest for the fastest way to add and multiply numbers and to do so on a supercomputer began on Thursday, June 20, 1974. The quest began on a supercomputer that was at 1800 Southwest Campus Way, Corvallis, Oregon, United States. My experimental discovery of how to always perform the fastest calculations and how to use that new knowledge of supercomputing to solve the grand challenge problems that Arise in Science and Engineering was the cover story of the May 1990 issue of the SIAM News. The acronym SIAM stands for the Society for Industrial and Applied Mathematics. The SIAM News is the flagship publication of the mathematics community. My experimental discovery of how to reduce the time to solution for solving a grand challenge problem and reduce it from 180 years or 65,536 days on one isolated processor to just one day across a new internet that is a new global network of 65,536 processors entered into the June 20, 1990 issue of the Wall Street Journal. Looking back to 1974, I learned that programming the parallel supercomputer and doing so back then was akin to the Wright brothers learning how to fly an airplane and doing so six decades earlier. Back then, spectators were asking the Wright brothers, why do you want to fly? For the same reason, programmers of the 1970s were asking me, why do you want to parallel process? In the 1970s, it was often said that parallel processing is a huge waste of everybody's time and it was also said that parallel processing is a beautiful theory that lacked an experimental confirmation parallel supercomputing that was uncharted territory in the 1970s and 80s opened an unknown world in the 1990s through 2010s Today, all computers are multi core or are powered by many processors that are doing many things at once or in parallel. My experimental discovery of how to speed up 108 years of sequential processing to only one day of parallel supercomputing opened the door for the manufacturing of Japanese, Chinese, and American parallel supercomputers. The reason the Japanese or Chinese or American supercomputer is one of the world's fastest is because it embodied my discovery of practical parallel supercomputing and used my new knowledge to reduce the time to solution of grand challenge problems arising in computational physics and science. A Chinese supercomputer reduced its time to solution from 30,000 years or what 10 million to 10, 10.65 million days of sequential processing on one isolated processor, to just one day of parallel supercomputing across an ensemble of 10.65 million processors, I began my quest for the fastest arithmetical computations and began it in June 1970 and began with an analog computer called a slide rule, and began in Onicha, Nigeria. I believe that in a million years our post-human descendants will still be searching for their fastest supercomputer that is perhaps the size of their known universe. Finally, I believe that the computing technique that was around the longest will remain around the longest. The need to add and multiply numbers was around for our pre-human ancestors of one million years ago. That need to compute at the fastest speeds could be around for our post-human descendants of Yerminian. The research supercomputer scientist must always remain a polymath and a magician that turns science fiction to nonfiction. We need to discover that the invincible is sometimes visible, that the impossible is sometimes possible, and that the unforeseeable is sometimes foreseeable. That never ending need for faster computations means that the supercomputer must be ahead of itself at all times. To invent is to create something out of nothing. We create tomorrow by what we invent today. What we don't discover will do what it wishes. And my experimental discovery of how parallel processing powers the computer and the supercomputer is how I will tell posterity that I, Chura Philip Emma was once here. Thank you. I'm Philip Emma Thank you. Thank you very much. Insightful and brilliant lecture.